Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Glad that you guys are here. Hope you all had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Well, before we go into the message, I want to go ahead and address something. I've had a lot of questions this morning be asked to me from different people, and they've asked the question, are you okay? If you're not from South Carolina, let me explain to you about something that happened yesterday. My University of South Carolina Gamecocks lost again to that team from the upstate. So no, I'm not okay, I'm not okay, I'm not okay, I'm not okay at all. But I'm gonna change, I heard this this morning from someone. We as Carolina fans are known to have a, a phrase that we use after a loss. I just heard somebody say it. If you know it, say it with me. Wait till next year, right? Well, I'm gonna alter that a little bit. Wait till next decade, all right? 2031 is on, right? We got it. All right. Uh, It's good to be here with you guys this morning. I do hope you all had a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Ours was was a great time spilled, uh, filled, spilled too. We did that, but filled with family and lots of food and good times. And so we're grateful that we could all be here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, go and open up to Psalm 92. That's where we're going to be this morning. As you turn there, uh, we, if you weren't able to be with us this past Sunday night, we had a wonderful night for our missions and prayer. It was fantastic as we had our missionaries that were here with us from, uh, from, from, from somewhere far away that we can't talk about publicly, but uh, at least while we're live streaming, but had a wonderful time just kind of hear the story of what God's doing all over the world. And, and for the people who were, who were there, we had a great crowd show up. A lot of people asked that night, well, we have more opportunities, more things like this, and, and to answer that Absolutely, we will. Uh, It was just wonderful seeing all that God was doing as we talked more and more about unreached people groups and what it takes and what God's doing. You know, I think sometimes uh, our our, our focus in our lives can can just be what we can see, what we hear, what we know about, right? Because we we can't get outside of that. We can't know what we don't know. We can't see what what we can't see. But when we have these moments, when we have these opportunities, God just opens up for so much more of what he's doing. And so we're looking forward uh, for more opportunities with that. Something that came out of this night or leading up to this night as we talked about how can we take this season and, and continue to keep missions and, and prayer on our minds and, and in our hearts. And so uh, we as the staff came up with, with an idea as, as, you, as you walked into building one or building two, you'll notice there's a Christmas tree that's up and it's got these little paper Christmas ornaments all over them. And so for, for this Christmas season, what we're going to challenge all of us to do as a Willow Ridge Church family is to embrace what we're calling our prayer tree. Now, these paper ornaments that are up, we had some students that came up on one of their days off this week and and cut these out for us. They've got prayer requests from different missionary partners that we have. And so what we're going to challenge you to do is to stop by there, grab one of these ornaments, hang it on your tree, and when you walk by it every morning that that you would see your prayer request, that you would be reminded to pray for that missionary in that specific prayer request and in that area in which they are serving. And so parents, I know 
know that's something we were challenging our kids to do. Don's talking with them about that as well this morning. And so if they come with one also, then great. We'd love for each and every one to do that. We do have more ornaments. And so if every single one of you go and take one off, that's fine. We've got more. We'll put them up and we'll, we'll keep going. Now, what we've done before in the past is what you're probably used to different organizations. Like we'd have uh, uh, gifts that you could buy for, for different people or different places or organizations that we've partnered before in the past. And so since we're not doing that with gifts on the tree, we, we do recognize that, that some of us, I know our family, likes to, to think of how we can help others, particularly financially during this time of year. And so maybe you've already budgeted for that. Maybe you've already accounted for that. And so what we'll have in building one and building two, in fact, this is the box for building one, is we have these boxes right beside our, our Christmas trees, right beside our prayer trees. And so out there in the lobby, you'll see these as you walk through, and they've got a little, little hole right here at the top. And so if you've budgeted, if you would like to give, we're going to ask that you give in financially speaking, that you give, and you can place your, your check, you can place your envelope, you can place that in the box here. Now, this isn't your, your offering that you give. This is above and beyond. Dave's actually going to run that back there now, so y'all can all fill it up when you leave here this morning. But all of the funds that are put in those boxes above and beyond our normal offerings are gonna go to bless the Stockman family in Hope Valley Church so that they can continue on in the ministry um, for, for what they're doing. Now, I know that you guys know this, this time of year in your family, right, it gets more expensive, right? There's more meals to plan, there's more things to do, there's more gifts to buy. And, and a church is often just like your family and things get more expensive as we do the different things. And so as the stopments are continuing on and to plant Hope Valley Church, there are a lot of things that are coming up. And so we want to take this opportunity to bless them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to leave that box with the, with the prayer ornaments out all the way through our Christmas Eve service. And so you're going to have time to be able to go and, and maybe it's a check that you want to write. Maybe you want to have a couple of bills in your, in your pocket and drop that in there. But then everything that we'll collect after our Christmas Eve service, we'll get uh, Joel Van Hamel cut them a check and we'll send it on over there so that they can use it for the ministry that God has for them. And we're, we are excited about that opportunity to, to bless them as the church. And we thank you for your willingness uh, to partner with us in that. Um, so we're going to, in our Psalm series, we've been in this for about eight weeks now. And as we've studied through, if, if this is your first week, I know we got some families who are visiting with us. We haven't moved, you know, one by one through the Psalms, but each week we've looked at a different Psalm. And as we've looked at that Psalm, our, our worship team has led us in, in worship with that song. And, and so it's been neat as, as we go through. This morning I, I sat down in my office, I got here a little bit earlier than normal, and, and I was just looking at the different Psalms that, that we had done. And, 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 and a cool thing of what we did was, was because there's so many different ones that we can set to music. I actually released control of it to Berger, which is a big deal for me when it comes to choosing what passages I'm going to preach out of. And so he like gave me a pocket of, or, or a sampling of Psalms. Like, hey man, these have got some good music that we can pull from and, and do this with. And so we picked and choose which ones that we wanted to do, that we felt led to do. And so there wasn't any particular rhyme or reason other than it kind of fits where we're at and, and what we want to accomplish. And so there's been some themes that we've, that we've seen, some, some differences between all of them. Uh, you know, they've had different authors, We've looked at a lot that, that David wrote because David wrote half of the Psalms, but then there's been some where we don't know the authors or, or Moses even wrote the one that we looked at, I believe, last week. As we read through these Psalms, some are more somber, right? And some are more joyful. And so you feel that difference in them. 
Some of them, now while they're all written as, as poetry, some of them, you, you read them, and, and really quickly, you, like, you can see like, this feels like a songwriter wrote it. Like it feels like this is easy to set to music, while others kind of give you that feel of going all the way back to like your British literature class, like where you're reading like Shakespeare and poetry, right? Like you, you have a hard time placing like, how would I exactly sing this psalm? In these psalms, some have focused on the past, while others have focused on the future. Some of the psalms have been written from a perspective of the individual, so we hear words like I and me as it talks about the relationship with God and what God was doing in the life of that author. But some of the Psalms have been written from the perspective of Israel. And so we are what God has done for this whole people. And as we go through the Psalms, we, we see these differences that are there. But all of them, as we've read through them, have, have two things in common. And I want to kind of talk about this before we get into Psalm 92 this, this morning. And here's the, the two things that all of them ha- have in common. Number one, they, they were written out of a personal relationship with God and not a religious relationship with God. And I want to I talk about that really, really quickly. Here's what I mean about a personal relationship with God. I think that's a phrase that we throw out oftentimes, but we don't explain what we mean by that. By personal relationship with God, what we mean is that there's depth to the relationship. There's a growing knowing of one another in that. So it's not that I know God, meaning I just know things about God, but I know God and I'm knowing him more every single day. There's a depth of a relationship. It's not that you're an acquaintance, but you're, you're, you're mingling together. There's an intimacy that we see. There's words that we notice that, that come from the heart that are not shared between strangers, but words that are delivered to individuals who have depth of relationship, who care about one another, and who are also willing to be honest in their relationship with one another. But also that they're interactive. That we see that this carries on from moment by moment, day by day in their life. And that's what I mean by personal relationship with God. When we read this, we can see this with David. We can see this with Moses. We can see this with the different writers of the Psalms. And not a religious relationship with God. So let me define that. Religious relationship with God is, these are the rules. Let me make sure that I do them. And I check the boxes. This is what is expected of me, but I'm not going to give anything more. And then on that, not only am I checking the boxes, not only am I pausing myself from going beyond, but also within that, I want the recognition for it. If we notice so much of these psalms, what's dealt with is the personal relationship, not the religious relationship. And because of this, another common theme that's come from these is that we notice that the authors focus on what God has done and what God is doing. It's not their biography that they're writing. It's not their time for them to step back and praise themselves, but it is a reflection of the heart that understands all that God has done and all that God is doing in their life, and then they praise them for it. Like, as we've read through this and as you've been through this with us, (coughs) excuse me, I'm sorry, (coughs) not all of these have been written out of times of prosperity, But all of these have been written out of the praise for the Lord for all that he has done and all that he's going to do. And that comes out of a heart of a personal relationship, not a religious relationship. And so I just want to ask you this question this morning as we get going. What type of a relationship do you have with the Lord? Do you have a personal relationship with God, one that's marked by depth and growing to know him 
and desiring every day to encounter him? Is it marked by intimacy with him? That, the, that what is in your heart and what comes from your heart is a reflection of that. That's interactive in the points to where you notice every single day God's goodness and God's blessing and God's faithfulness in the good and the bad and everywhere in between. Or, or do you feel like you just have a religious relationship with God? Well, I'm here, check. I opened my Bible this week, check. Somebody recognized me for it, check, right? If someone came up to you today and said, hey, could you tell me what a relationship with the Lord looks like? Tell me what your time with him looks like. How would you describe that? What would you point to? What would you draw from? You know, it's really easy here this morning to say that we want to, that we have a, a personal relationship with Jesus. But if a perfect stranger comes out to you on the street and says, what does your walk with Christ look like? What does your walk with Christ look like? Does it reflect a personal or religious relationship with Christ? So we're going to look at Psalm 92 this morning. That is going to be an overflow of that relationship. For my coffin, um, I ran in a race yesterday. I'll never do that again. Okay, all right. <laughs> Learn my lesson. All right. <clears throat> now, Psalm 92, here's what we're going to notice within here. It, it's a psalm for the Sabbath, so it's a psalm for worship. All right, so everything that we're going to look in here is going to be a song that, that is going to describe an attitude and atmosphere of corporate worship amongst God's people. All right? Now, we don't know who the writer of this is, but what we're going to see from and what you would amen and notice is that it is definitely one that is written out of a personal relationship with the Lord. Start reading verse 1. <clears throat> Glad I didn't have much to cheer about last night, right? Sorry. I thank y'all that I'm at a church that that's not awkward for me. So I appreciate that. Verse one, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep that I want us to, to see here and, and to notice here is that we're going to describe God's people worship. We're going to see three different aspects that describe God's people in worship throughout Psalm 92. But the first thing that we're going to notice in this, in worship, all right, this is key, in worship is that God's people worship. That's important. In worship, we worship. Not in worship, we sit here. Not in worship, we show up. But in worship, we worship. And the gathering of God's people has always been central to his faith. We see it all throughout <coughs> God's word. 
The second psalm that we studied in this series was Psalm 134, a psalm of ascent, that the people would say as they walked up the hill to the temple in Jerusalem, what they would sing for what they knew to expect when they encountered into worship. Before God's people built the temple that God called them to, God's people would build places of worship where, where they would recognize what God has done. God would call for himself in the Old Testament a, a group of people, a tribe called the Levites, and from this tribe, God would select his priest who would help the people in worshiping him. God would create festivals and holidays so that people would come together and travel from far away to worship him. In the New Testament, Jesus not only went to the temple courts to teach, but also to the temple to worship himself. In Acts, people were saved, churches were formed, and people were gathered together for worship. God's word never veers away that God calls his people together to worship. It's the desire of his heart. Now, there are those who think differently and who will say, "What? but worship is supposed to be a lifestyle. Worship is supposed to be what we do every day. And to that, I would say yes and amen in full agreement with that. We are to live a lifestyle of worship. I'm to worship God when I'm here and when I'm not here, Monday through Saturday and all that I have, but, but we cannot use that as an excuse for not gathering together, to not having the family here. I asked if you had a good Thanksgiving, and I hope that you all did. We had a great Thanksgiving. And if your Thanksgiving was like mine, it was a little loud, it was a little messy, it was a little chaotic. Why? Because we were all together. And when God's people come together in his name as his family to worship, it brings that sense together. It's a little loud. It's a little messy. It's a little chaotic. But it's good because we're together. And so when we worship, what we see in these first several verses in Psalm 92 is that God is calling us to do some things. Now, when I talk about worship this morning, of us being in worship, that God's people worship, I am speaking musically. All right. So what we just did and what we will do is what we're going to talk about in these several verses. And there's three things that, that I find in this that the psalmist encourages us or challenges us to. All right. Number one is this. We need to sing. We need to sing. There's too many verses in the Bible to go through where God calls and demands his people to sing from Psalms, Colossians, Ephesians, and everywhere in between. Sing. Verse 1 says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name. Now, some of you are gifted in singing. A lot of us, me included, are not. Right? That's right. We just get crazy on the day after Thanksgiving, right, Tim? But God calls us to that. And I want to challenge you if you're here this morning and you gather in here and you say, well, I'm here for the fellowship. I'm here for the message. I'm here for the time that we can be together. But when the music and things start, that's just not my thing. Can I plead with you for the heart of God to understand that I don't know why God didn't give us something else to do, but God says to sing to him a new song. And in Colossians 3, he commands that with the churches gather together to sing psalms and hymns to him. 
that he calls us to sing, to bring forth a song from our mouth. And so when this team gets up here, this isn't American Idol to sit back and watch them and applaud them, but what they're doing is they're leading us, not performing for us. And they're leading us in worship. And so sound ugly with me. Because God is glorified. Because that's what he longs for and that's what he desires. And I don't know what had to be song. I don't know. But he's God and he does. And the tendency for some of us is this. And I just challenge you, maybe in a whisper that only you and God can hear, to be willing to sing before the Lord. Number two, when we sing, and let me, let me say this about Joel Berger. These next two things I believe he does better than any worship leader that I've ever been around. Number two, when we worship, we need to declare God's faithfulness, not our own. All right? Um, God is both the subject and the object of our worship, not us. We are not singing songs about ourselves. We are not singing songs to ourselves. Verse 2, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Who are we singing about God's faithfulness? Not how well we've done, not what we've accomplished, not how we have been faithful to him, but how he has been faithful to us. Number three, connected together, but notice what he is doing and not what we have done. Verse three and four, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work at the works of your hands. I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep to notice the goodness of what God has done. I'm guilty of this but we miss the blessings of God continually. This morning I was on the way here to work and was driving down Nazareth Road and, and, and kind of in a more populated area of the road and all of a sudden um, I, I, I realized and I looked down at my speedometer and it's like 45 miles per hour, but for whatever reason I was going 30 miles an hour and I don't know why I was going so slow, but I was going so slow and I went to speed up and all of a sudden a deer shot across the road, right? right? And, and maybe it's because I'm a slow driver, but is it the goodness and the faithfulness of God there in that moment, Right? And what do we choose to notice and what do, we, what do we choose to do? To notice what God is doing and not what we have done. And to boast on him. For you, O oh Lord, have made me glad by your works. And at the works of your hand I sing for joy. And so as, 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 we, as we see this, as we, as we journey through, as we gather in here for worship, what we are to do is to worship. And not ourselves. And in the songs that we sing are intentional. And they direct us and point our eyes and our hearts to who God is and what God has done. And if you don't know him and you're here, the beauty of the songs that we sing is to tell his story of the gospel of Christ and not our own story. Let's keep reading verses 6 through, six through 12. As, I'm sorry, 6 through 11. As we read these verses, I want this to kind of sink into our brain 
that when we worship, we worship as victors in Christ and no longer as victims. Right? Verse 6. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to, to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies uh, shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. And so as we gather into worship as victors and no longer victims, we need to know that in worship, God's people overcome. The psalmist draws two comparison of two different people in the world. The people of God and the people who are not of God. It's been a theme throughout all of Scripture, primarily in the Psalms, that we see this. You stupid man, you fool. And what these words, what they're portraying is to those who do not know God. Verse 6, the stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all the evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. Now know in this world, and people say that the world changes. I don't think the world changes. We just rinse and repeat over and over again. Wickedness and evil appeared and appear to be all around us. And it's not hard to see. And the psalmist uses an illustration that it's like grass. They said the evil and the wickedness are like grass. It, it grows quickly. And if you think about this, if, you, if you've had the opportunity to travel around to different parts of the world, all right, most people don't treat grass and really pine straw the way that people here do, all right? Both of them are considered inconveniences, not things to, to use to make our houses pretty. So when you hear this grass, it's, it's what's everywhere. And they acknowledge because grass grows quickly. And if you're not trying to produce high-dollar zoysia, right, if you just let it go, you know, it's all the weeds and everything that will come through there. That's what they're talking about. That grass grows quickly. Grass grows easily, but they do not last. We saw this this past week, right? Let the frost of the morning come, and they're gone. And, and, and the psalmist writes, and he says, here's what the fool Here's what the person far from God cannot understand, that this is what they are like, that we see them and we think they're flourishing. We see them, we think that they're growing, but there's just destruction. And it's not depth that's there, and it's not life. But we as believers, we don't fall into this. We as believers, this does not define us. Instead, verse 8 begins for us and tells us that we overcome. And we are here to worship him today because we overcome in Christ. But you, O Lord, are on high forever, verse 8 says. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. 
but you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies, and my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. We overcome, church, because we are in him. Verse 8 says, but you, O Lord, are on high forever. Forever. Not like the grass who will come and go. Not like a season who will change. But the Lord sits on high, exalted as ruler forever. And then as this, what the psalmist does is that as he sits on high, he does something that God is working and that he works for us. Now, he uses a couple of illustrations that are, that are hard for us to understand. When, when, when we look down and see in verse 10, he describes this. He says, but you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. All right, so the wild ox was considered the animal that was associated with a warrior. And so if you saw a warrior and you wanted to describe how fierce they were in battle and how strong they were in battle, you would describe them as the wild ox. And when you were out in nature, when you were out and you would see the wild ox, what would stand out that would embrace their power and their domination was the horns that they had. And that the psalmist writes and says that this is who we are when we are found in him. That the authority and the power that we have in God and because of who he is and because what he has done and then the psalmist says also, and you have poured oil over me, fresh oil. Now this oil was used to anoint people, special people, prophets, priests, kings. And I don't know if the psalmist was one of these, but he says that this is what he does for us. And it is as a form of a symbol of blessing <clears throat> that God, as he sits on high, is empowering and blessing his people. And so because of that, we are not like the foolishness of this world that comes and looks powerful and looks appealing, but then dies and fades away. Instead, that we are beyond that. And so we're to worship him for that. And then one last way that we worship him, verse 12 through 15, it says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And the last thing that we see is that God's people we don't just simply overcome that God's people flourish. So much of growth in Christ is learning to see ourselves in the way that God sees us. To see how God looks at his people that he sent his son to die for. To see and to be, un be able to understand that. And when we understand how God sees us, then this is what it can mean to flourish in this life. Because it's no longer my self-esteem that I need to figure out, but it's who I am in Christ. It's no longer defined by the things that I've done, but it's defined by what Christ has done. And now I partake in that. I receive that. I am known for that in Christ. 
And so we see that God's people flourished. And the psalmist understands this, and he writes this in verse 12. He says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now, now think back to the verses that we just read. The wicked are like the grass that comes and grows. It's everywhere. It's not special. But the righteous people, there's value in God's people. And the psalmist says that we are like the palm trees and the cedar trees. Now, during the time that the psalmist would have wrote in this, these two trees would have been considered very valuable, and they would have flourished in the area that this would have been written. And they were valuable for, for three reasons. And as we understand these trees, we will understand how we are seen by God. Number one, they were valuable because both of these trees were planted for a purpose. For a purpose. A palm tree for its fruit and a cedar tree for its wood. And so both of these trees would have been very valuable to those of whom they belonged. And that we understand that when God saves us, that there's value in us because God gives us purpose in our salvation to live a life to glorify him in declaring his greatness. So just like the grass, what's it here for? It's just there. It's going to burn up. More is going to come back. And it's just this cycle. But there's the palm and there's the cedar. And in that, there's great value because of the purpose that it brings, because of the life that it brings. The second thing is this. Both of these trees were, were seen as beautiful. Right? I don't know about you, but we got roses planted at our house. We got azaleas planted at our house. And we don't plant them for any other purpose except for when they bloom, they're beautiful. We'll look at them as we walk in and when we're out working in the yard. And during this time, people would look at the palm trees and the cedar trees and they would notice them just because they're beautiful. Maybe you need to hear this this morning. Maybe you've walked through some things in your life and in your past. You've made some decisions that you're not proud of, that you're ashamed of. But when God sees you, God sees you as beautiful because he sees you in Christ. He doesn't see us in the way that we define ourselves. He doesn't see us in the way that the world defines us. But he sees us as his. I was watching a documentary one time, and it was about a, a girl who had made some very bad decisions in her life. And she ended up being murdered. And her dad was the police officer who found her. And they asked him in the interview, What did you see? when you walked up to her. And he said, you know, my daughter had lived a rough life. She had made a lot of bad decisions and a lot of bad choices. But when I walked up there that day, I hadn't seen her in five or six years. But when I walked up and saw her, all I saw was my beautiful little girl. When God sees you, he doesn't see your failures he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your ugly. He doesn't see your regret. When God looks at you, he sees the beauty of Christ. 
The last thing about these trees is these trees survive. We planted peach trees in our yard. We, we love our peach trees, and every year our peach trees produce fruit for us. We get peaches off of them, and it's been a wonderful blessing every springtime. But what we know is every five to six years, we got to cut them peach trees down, and we got to plant new peach trees. They're not trees that survive and stand the test of time. But palm trees and cedar trees, they stand the test of time. They're known as trees that survive. And so when the psalmist writes this, and this is who we are in Christ, we're reminded that in him, we stand the test of time as well. In him, death is just but a moment. In him, we survive for all of eternity. And in him, we thrive and we flourish because we are in Christ. And close with this question. You came to worship this morning, but have you worshiped? Have you worshiped? Have you gathered? Yeah. Have you been here while music is played? Yeah. Have you listened to a message? Yeah. Has someone prayed? Absolutely. Is there a call when there be a challenge? You, you bet. You bet. But none of those answers the position of your heart of have you worshipped? Have you worshipped in song of the declaration of who he is and what he's done? And as a, as a well overflows with the water that's in it, so too our hearts overflow with the story and the goodness of God and who he is. It's not about the notes we sing, it's about the declaration of Christ. Right? Have we lived, have we, have we worshipped out of the nature because we're flourishing in him? That we are a life with a purpose. We are a life of value. We are a life forever because of Christ and Christ alone. And lastly, and there's people who walked in here this morning with struggles. There's people who are walking in this morning bringing the, 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 the tons and tons of baggage that they have. But are you worshiping in the victory in Christ? That because he has overcome, so too we have overcome. And we are not like the grass that dies and fades away, but we are like the trees who have been planted and who are there. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you for your grace on me this morning. In your protection as I got here. Lord, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to be able to communicate your word. And with a voice that's cracking and, and coughing, Lord, that you, you, you were in, endured me through this. And Lord, I praise you for what you've done. Lord, I thank you that when we were singing just a few moments ago, Lord, we could hear the, the voices of the redeemed saints singing about your goodness, Lord. I thank you for the wonderful privilege that it is, Lord, that we can worship away from here, but Lord, we get to worship here together as a family with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, this season we're reminded of all the many things 
that we have to be thankful for. Thankful for family and for friends, for good food, for fellowship. Lord, we're thankful that for a few hours on a Saturday, for a lot of us, we can cut on a game that in the scope of eternity means nothing. But we can enjoy ourselves and laugh and have that time. But most importantly, Lord, we're, we're thankful for you and all that you've done in your grace and your goodness. Lord, you didn't have to do any of it, but you chose to. Lord, and we stand in the wave of that blessing. Lord, it's my prayer for us that in the moment that we'll stand and that we won't just sing, we won't just raise our hands, we won't just read the words, we won't just play the instruments, but we'll worship you. As if the words of the screen were our very own. Declaring who you are and what you've done. Lord, you're who it's about and you're who we're singing to. May our worship be a sweet offering. And Lord, may you be glorified in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, when, when we stand, we got prayer encouragers on either side of our auditorium. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe it was a tough Thanksgiving. It's been a tough weekend. It's been a tough year. Maybe you came in here this morning, and you want to talk to someone about a relationship with Christ, about what it means to follow Him. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to talk with you. I don't want you to respond to me. I don't want you to respond to the team. I just want you to respond to God as he draws your heart to his in worship this morning. So would you stand and worship? Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.